You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, the last couple of weeks, uh, as I've said, we have been talking about giving, and um, now. I'm very conscious that we said we're going to do it for two weeks, which we did the last two weeks, and I very much had expected to move on. I got another message, uh, which was certainly uh, bubbling under for today. I knew where I was going to head. But this week, there have been so many people that I have been talking to or I've been hearing about that have been stirred by the last two weeks' teaching and are still in the throes of wrestling with this subject We've been calling this subject the pocket and the heart, recognizing that we cannot separate out our, our substance from our heart, using the pocket just to illustrate that which God has put into our hand. And so we prayed and talked about this this week and felt we need to give it one more week, not to drive, not to push, not to press, but just to help some people. You know, sometimes on any other subject, we would camp until we feel we're done. And here we expected just to do two weeks and we just feel we're not quite done. I want to try to help some of you if you're in the middle of processing. We recognize that there are are many who have been making responses to the teaching and and making decisions to trust God with their substance in new ways. I understand this is always a faith journey. If you're here for the very first time today, welcome to you. We make no apology of teaching on this because it's part of discipleship, but we also understand it probably wouldn't be our subject of choice for a new person, but we welcome you anyway, and please extend grace to us as we stay here just a little longer. And one of the stories that came in this week, I don't know who this is, but I came to a life group leader who forwarded it without a name onto me. Uh, Somebody in our church this week said this, just want to share something. The message on Sunday finally reminded me to get my act together and sort out my tithing. So I set up regular payments on Sunday and today, which which was Tuesday, I've just been told I'm getting a pay rise at one job and I'm reminded I'm also getting a pay rise at my other job in two months time. Isn't God good? And you know, we certainly would encourage you that if you're stepping out in faith, God is able. His hand is never too short. You know, when we're singing, God who moves the mountains, I'm aware there can be a spirit of lack, a a fear of lack, and a spirit of poverty, and a whole load of things that actually can stop us, that want to limit, that want to restrict. And, you know, my prayer, I was praying, I was saying, God, you know, move those things. You're not in this house. You're not in this house. Let there be freedom in this house. Every person can trust you and walk fully in everything that God has for them, that you have for them, Lord. That was my prayer as we were singing that song, as we were speaking out. And I'm aware, you know, this is a sensitive issue. We've been talking about it. It's also an incredibly significant issue. It's a liberating issue when we come to a place of of bringing our substance freely to God and trusting Him and moving to a place where we're not trying to work it all out. Now, we have to do due diligence with our stewardship. But really, ultimately, we're trusting the one whose arm is never too short. And when we come to that place, something amazing happens. But I'm aware we, we have to come to a point of commitment. 
to come to a point of decision. What am I going to do? You can sit under messages, but really the, the idea isn't just to come and hear a message and go home and come and hear a message. Jesus said, you know, not, not those who hear my words, those who hear my words and put them into practice are blessed. They're like a man who builds his house on a rock. Not those who hear and go away. He said that they're like someone who built a house on a sand. So we have to come to a point of commitment and make a decision. A man and woman were making their vows at a wedding ceremony. And the minister asked the groom, will you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? He replied, well, I've been thinking about it. The minister said, well, it's good you've been thinking about it, but actually I've asked you a question. Will you? The groom said, well, I I get excited when I think about her. The minister said, well, I'm glad you get excited when you think about it, but the question I'm asking you is, will you? And the man said, I will. And the minister turned to the bride and said, will you take this idiot to be your lawful wedded husband? You know, sometimes we, you know, we, we delay, we're, we're there, and we're, it's like, but will you? That's the question. Now, maybe the Holy Spirit's been knocking on the door of your heart, and, you know, I, I'm not here with a, with a desire to make it uncomfortable, but I am here with a, a massive desire to help you get to a place of freedom and progress in your discipleship. And maybe the Holy Spirit's tapping as, as he does, if you understand my language, on the door of your heart and you know. But the question is, will you? Will you? Will you trust him? Will you take a step? Will you do what you need to do? That's your business. We're not going to come after you and find out. If you've got a Bible, then uh, why don't you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to visit three chapters, uh, three passages here, sorry, uh, in the Bible. Firstly, in Luke 21. And then we're going to turn to a verse in Jude, which is right near the end of the New Testament, just before Revelation, and, and all the way to the start in Genesis. Three different places. First of all, Luke Chapter 21, and we're just going to read the first four verses, the story of the widow's mite or the widow's offering. Luke 21, verse 1, as Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury, he also saw a poor widow put in very two small copper coins or, or lepta. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. And put in all she had to live on. You know, notice here Jesus is observing the temple treasury. You know, this is as close as you're going to get to the church offering. And Jesus is looking what's going in. You know, this is like, don't you find that interesting? He's watching and he's observing. And then he's commenting to his disciples. Because the reflection of what is given shows him something of the heart. Of the giver. Um, if you go to Jude uh, verse 11, this is Jesus' half brother. So Jesus, uh, Jude's uh, mom was Mary and his dad was Joseph, grew up in the same household as Jesus, went on to be one of those leaders in the early church after Jesus had been crucified and raised from the dead. And, and in his short letter, he starts to speak against false teachers. Those are infiltrating the church. And I don't have time to fully expand this, but I want us to notice what he says in verse 11. He says, Woe to them, for they have taken the way of Cain. Take note of that, because we're about to turn to Cain and understand what that might mean. 
Woe to them, for they've taken the way of Cain. They've rushed for profit into Balaam's error, and they've been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Well, that's a good sermon for another day. But purely today to stop there and say in the New Testament, there is a warning against those who live like Cain lived. There is a warning to those who have moved and followed the way of Cain. Because you'll only find a few verses in the Old Testament as to how Cain lived. And it refers to where we're going next. And finally, which is Genesis 4, verses 1 to 7. This is what the Word of God says. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, thanks be to God. If I can impress anything on us today, it is to come back to the idea of week one that really when we're talking about substance and giving, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Why not put your your hand on your heart right now, where you are, right across this room, put your hand on your heart and say, it's a heart issue. Listen, I tell you, I kid you not, it's a heart issue. Uh, Also, last week we talked about the fact that God is first and God is best. You don't need me to labor it again, but but every week we could come back and remind ourselves, because somehow we lose sight of how awesome He is, that He is first and He is best. There is no one like my God. There's no one like God Almighty. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He reigns in splendor and supremacy. He is glorious and majestic. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he's first and he's best and he can't be second. And what we said was this, the first and the best belong to him because he is first and best. And when we fail to make God first in an area of our lives, we don't diminish him, we misplace ourselves. But when our hearts come into a place of worship, when we recognize him as first, when something moves in our hearts, then everything starts to work. Let me tell you, everything starts to work. I have proved this over 25 years. The journey of my own heart, of surrendering my heart to God, of understanding his ways are higher than, than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. That his purposes and plans for me are wonderful and good. That he only has my best interests at heart. Now I can remember what, you know, I, I surrendered pretty much every area of my life. But you, know, I, I, you, you remember I've talked to you how I got saved and I, I laid on the altar my career. I I laid on the altar my finances. There was one area which was the last area which I surrendered to the Lord of a major area. The Lord will come and and pinpoint areas that we need to deal with in our hearts continually as we grow. But but I I wanted right of veto on who I would marry. Hello? I was like, Lord, I'll go anywhere for you, but I'm choosing who I marry. I don't want you stitching me up with, with... Somebody 
who I would not have chosen. Does that sound reasonable to you? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? But then my pastor said to me, because I said to him, he said, why don't you just give it to the Lord? And I said, no, I'm scared of giving it to the Lord. I've given some other things to the Lord and he's, he's done stuff with it. This is dangerous. You give things to the Lord. Who knows who I could end up with? And my pastor said, you have got such a perverse view of God. No, he did. And he was right. He said, do you not think your father knows the perfect person for you? Does he think, do, do you think he doesn't know what's going to delight your heart? Do, do you think he doesn't care about that? Like, like a good father. And I, and I had to make a shift. And I had to say, Lord, I, I trust you. Lead me to someone I can serve you with. And then this young lady walked into my life. And, and I, I fell in love with her. And it's like, you know, sometimes you, and we'll be married 20 years this year. And, you know, it's, hey, it's all good, isn't it? But, you know, we, we fell in love before we knew each other. I mean, I would not have recommended it. We'd known each other five minutes. And, I, you know, it was... But I, I couldn't eat and I couldn't sleep. Ah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> Poor lovesick fool. And, I, and I, after a couple of weeks, I thought, well, I'm going to have to say something or else it's only a matter of time before I die. <laughs> Even if she says, no, I've, I've got to push through my own fear of rejection here. Alignment. Heart. Some of these areas, we can, tr- we can trust him because he's trustworthy. Some of us, we're wrestling. We're wrestling with some of these things because we want to keep in control. We want to manage things and we don't trust or we're fearful that there might not be enough or we just don't know if it's going to work or we just don't want to. And Oh, please, trust him. He has more for you in his heart than you could ever conjure up for yourself. You've just got to align yourself to God and the goodness of God. You know, last week I I told a story of how I began my journey as a first year student uh, tithing. Many of you will be here and would remember the story. And how then later, a few months later, I needed a job. And I ended up doing this amazing queue jump because the Lord spoke to me to phone a company at just the right moment. And I got to the top of the queue. Do you remember that story? Uh, And we said, you know, it's not fair. No, but it is favor. But you know what I, what I thought? I pondered on that story after I told it. Because you forget things in life. This was years ago. And then I kind of dug this story up for last week. And, and I started to think about it later that day after I'd shared it. And I thought, this, I don't think I'm wrong to attribute the upturn in my finances to the upturn in my giving. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven. But... What I realized was the upturn in my giving had been the product of an upturn in my heart. Do you understand me? I didn't come and make a decision out of my head. Something had started to stir in my heart. I'd started to fall in love with God. 
I'd started to pray. I'd gone away to university and I'd gotten a group of guys and we used to get up early in the morning and pray and we saw people get saved and we prayed for sick people and they got healed and I started to fast and I started to worship and something changed in my heart. I started to love God. I started to be, wanted to be in the presence of God. So you know, something got a hold of me. And it was out of that place that I then, it's like, I, I want to do something with my finance that's appropriate. Now, what am I saying here? I think what I'm saying is that an aligned heart will produce aligned behavior for the long haul. You know, we, we can, uh, although aligned behavior that honors God will attract his favor, a compliant and aligned heart will produce aligned behavior for the long haul. In fact, aligned behavior without an aligned heart will never be sustainable. So it happens a lot in our lives. We make decisions. We understand the good we should do, and we make a decision to do it, but our heart isn't fully there. And I'm not saying we shouldn't make those decisions, but I want to say today, let's attend to our heart. If we're wrestling with this area of giving, let me tell you, it's a warning to you. It's a red alert that something needs to move in the heart. Now, Jesus says where your treasure is, your heart will be. Sometimes we can make a decision that will help shift the heart. But let us attend to what really matters. Because if I love God and I trust God, everything else will flow from there. It will be easy. So the subtitle today of my message is, How's Your Offering? How's your offering? You know, Cain and Abel, they brought something. We first turn to this story of the poor widow, and she brings an offering. You'd think this poor widow, he says, you know, this is all she had to live on. Wouldn't you think Jesus might come and step in and say, it's all right, sweetheart. Don't worry. The temple's got enough. But this was part of her worship. He wouldn't have stopped her singing. He wouldn't have stopped her raising her hand in worship. And neither was he going to stop her bringing what she wanted to bring out of her heart. Her offering reflected something. And there's this tone of commendation in Luke 21. He says, look, all these big guns, they gave big. Let me tell you, she knocked it out the park. And doesn't he know the Father will meet all of her needs? As he, as he sees what she brings. How is your offering? The second scripture that we turn to in Jude, it warns against the way of Cain. It warns against something that we see in our third scripture. Now I understand our offering can be more than money and it should be more than money. Romans 12, offer, uh, offer, let's all say offer. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. This is your reasonable act or spiritual act of worship. What, what is Paul saying to the church in Rome? He's saying, live it out. Living sacrifices. Lay your whole life down. That's worship. When you go to work, when you're at university, when you're in college, when you're at home, how you are among other people, that's your worship. Offer God everything you have. You know, when we come into the house, can I encourage us to position ourselves as worshippers? You know, too often I I glance around and, you know, it's like an audience. I position myself to worship him. Every time, if I, well, anywhere. I I will not be passive in the house of God. I refuse to be passive. Please, 
If you know anything of the goodness of God, prepare your heart when you come to worship with others in the house of God. When a song is lifted up, don't just look like this is a performance. It's never a performance. It's to facilitate us as worshippers. But how's my offering? What's the condition of my offering? If God was to look at how I've done in his house today, have I brought him something that's an overflow of my heart? I know this can be heavy, but I I want to provoke us to be worshippers, to be a worshipping community. Because a worshipping community will open heaven over this place and heaven over this city. And anything can happen. Miracles will break out like that when as a church we fall in love with God and we're willing to express it. Something has to stir in our hearts. How is your offering? But when we come to our main text today, Cain and Abel, it was actually the substance of what they brought. This is part of our worship. You know, we we say every week, you could do an impression of us, couldn't you? Because we say, now as part of our worship, we're going to bring our tithes and offerings, yeah? Every week we say it. Why? Because it's part of our worship. It's not the fullness of our worship, but it is part of our worship. So how's my offering? How am I doing? Now I know many of you, you you give by standing order and the pot comes down and you don't put something in, you give it in another way. That's all cool, but in that moment we say "This this is part of my worship. And here, this was part of their worship. This was an offering they brought to the Lord. And Jude says... Woe to them that have taken the way of Cain. Woe to them that have walked as Cain walked. So we have to ask some things. Well, what, what did Cain do and what did Abel do? And so with regards to what we bring in our substance, the heart and the pocket, three questions today. How's your offering? Number one, is it fitting? Is it fitting? This is what we just read. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. In the course of time, Cain brought some. Here's the issue. God is first and best. He, to him belongs the first and the best. And in the course of time, Cain brought some. Abel, however, the Bible says, brought the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions other Versions say the, force, the firstborn of his flock and their fat, or the best portions of the firstborn lambs. Abel brought what was first and brought what was best. And the Bible says that God looked upon Abel's offering with favor. Now the Hebrew word, it, it's got a tone of approval, which is why you'll find that the New King James Version said he did not respect, he had no respect for Cain's offering, but for Abel and his offering he had respect. It says in another version that he did not approve of Cain's offering, Cain and his offering. Noting that you can't separate out the offering from the offerer. It says he did not have respect for Cain and his offering, but for Abel and his offering. Because what we offer is a reflection of who we are. Jesus at the temple treasury, the widow comes, he comments on her as a person, not just what she brought. Because what she brought is a reflection of who she is and her heart towards God. And and I want to ask us, ongoing, is it fitting? Are are our lives fitting? Is our our posture in worship fitting to the one who gave all? How marvelous, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. This one who died and gave all. This saviour of the world, this great God who created the heavens and the earth. It is what I'm bringing fitting. You see, Cain, he just brought something. 
He, you know, he, he brought a bit. He didn't bring nothing, by the way. He brought something. But it, it wasn't fitting. It wasn't appropriate. It, it wasn't first and best. I don't know if you've ever arrived somewhere and realized you've misjudged a situation. It's a horrible feeling. Maybe, you know, people have come and you've, you've dressed inappropriately or you've, like, everyone's brought something really lavish and you kind of haven't and you just, oh. I don't know if that's ever happened to anybody. I got invited when we not long moved to Coventry. Bishop Christopher Coxworth, who, who's the bishop of the Anglican Diocese, we, we were talking about city praise and prayer. By the way, those who made that work last Sunday, thank you. One outstanding night we had here. And he said to me, look, why don't you come to, I have a little private communion service at the bishop's house. Why don't you come along to that on, on Thursday? Now, in my head, I kind of heard him kind of say, why don't you pop along? We're going to break a bit of bread. And I got a bit late in, in a meeting and, and I got in the car and, and I arrived. I was like about three minutes late. It, like it wasn't a real shocker, but I wasn't on time. I should have aimed 15 and I didn't. And so I get there and, and I arrive and I, and I knock on the door and there's one girl has been left at reception and kind of she, she looks at me over her glasses. And I knew in that moment something was out of whack. Normally I get a really warm reception if I go to the bishop's house, but something wasn't right and it was very, very quiet. Normally people are around and I turned the corner and I could see there's this chapel room and it's full of people. It's full of all the good and the great of the Anglican church. Most of them are robed up and I, I look down, I'm in my jeans and my pumps. Look, Rahab's just gone, oh no. It's like, yeah, I, I know. And I'm like, and at that moment I'm like, oh no. And I thought, maybe I should just cut my losses and go. Pretend like I never showed. And say, oh, really sorry, something came up. Like my dignity. And, um, and I, but, but I kind of went through. And then his PA saw me. And she looked at me. And she raised her eyebrows at me. And she opened the door. And she, she let me. And, I, and at that point, I felt like such a worm. I felt like such an idiot. And, and the, the service has already begun. Now, Bishop Christopher, being the, the, the gracious, lovely man, he's, he stopped. He said, oh, Martin, wonderful. <laughs> he, he said, um, he said I, I've, I've told them you were coming. And he said, I, and I have reserved a space up here next to me. <laughs> right. Hello. Pentecostal, sorry, <laughs> jeans, missed it, um, you know, oh my goodness, I felt such an idiot, you know, people were frightfully civilized because they tend to be in the Anglican church, but I knew they were all thinking, who is this rapscallion that he would just rock up partway through this service, anyway, two years later I got invited again, and guess what, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we, make no mistake, we were there in plenty of time and we looked the part. Cain brought something and he misjudged it. It wasn't fitting. Sometimes what we bring, it's, it's not fitting if we stop and think about it. Now we live in an era of grace and we don't see the impact. But you know what? God doesn't banish Cain. God, God says to him, why, why are you angry? Why are you downcast? 
if you do what is right, will you not be accepted too? Will the favor come on you? I, I don't prefer Abel. Just put it right. Will you do what is right? Now, amazingly, he goes out from that place and he murders his brother. He's so angry about it and he doesn't put what is right. You know, my own understanding of the Jude verse 11, the way of Cain is that we would know what is right and we don't do it. And I want to say as we're talking into some of this, some of you know what's right. And I'm, I'm, we're not trying to raise funds here, hear me. We've said all along, we're not ashamed to try and resource a vision. That's not what this is about. It's about discipleship. I want to say, let's do what's right. Trust him. Trust him. Secondly, um, is, it, is it fitting? Secondly, is it consistent? The Bible says, in the course of time, Cain brought some. There's this whole casual tone, and I don't think I'm reading too much into to it to say it, it was not consistent. It was kind of, you know, when he was ready, he thought, ah, oh, I better do something. Whereas Abel, when the firstborn lambs come through, they're brought straight to the Lord. You know, many of us, we can be inconsistent, and we have to move to a place of consistency. There was an issue here about our diligence, our faithfulness, our consistency. If my heart is right, my pocket will follow. But we have to make a decision and, and do what is right. You know, someone said to me one time, I need to do a bit of tithing. Hello? I say, I hope it's not lost on you. Like that, that showed me immediately they hadn't quite understood. I can't tithe in January and give nothing until October. Because actually by October it's 1%, not 10%. Hello? I can't do a bit of tithing. I can bring a tenth of my pay packet one month. Yeah, okay, sure. Like I can bring 15 or 5%. But if I'm going to tithe, I'm going to bring the first and the best. I have to make a decision. I made a decision when I was 19. Not that I'd do it on a first pay packet, but I'd do it for the rest of my life. We've been doing it for 25 years. And we've seen the provision of God, the hand of God, the favor of God. And I'm not trying to preach give to get. Um, trying to preach discipleship that we would bring to God what is fitting but it requires some consistency we should do what we need to do and, and put some things right put some things in place and trust God for the long haul he says test me in this Malachi 3 where we were last week he says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse test me in this says the Lord and see if I will not open the windows of heaven over your life in Matthew chapter 25 Jesus talks about what's known as the parable of the talents. A talent was about a thousand pounds. You know, the, the, the power of the talents, it's not like Britain's got talent. It's not like he gives out, you know, dancing and juggling and, you know, get a dog to jump through a hoop. The power of the talents is about money. He entrusts money. He gives a thousand pounds to, well, he gives five thousand pounds to one. This is like this master who entrusts some things and goes away. And when he comes back, those that have stewarded well, he says this, well done, and you'll know this phrase, well done, good and, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. I've heard many people over the years say, I want to get to heaven and hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, let's go back to that parable and see what it's about. It's, it's about being entrusted with wealth. God has entrusted you with whatever is in your household, with whatever what is in your hand, however little that may be at this time of life. He's entrusted it to you and there's a parable right there and he's asking, are you going to steward it? And there are two words that he's looking for. Number one is good stewardship and number two is faithful stewardship. 
Well done, good and faithful servant. So we should be good stewards with what, what we have, that we seek to not squander it and we use it wisely. We seek to be shrewd, but also that we're faithful. We're faithful. Hello? We said again that we're faithful. Well, well done, good, not, you know, well done, good servant. You know, you put a bit of money on the right stock and it came up and woo! He said, you've, you've been faithful. Are we being faithful? Whenever we've taught on this in the past, we've seen a slight increase in, in our giving that has sustained, but we've also seen a spike at that time. And what that would indicate to me is there are some who have stepped out in faith for the first time who said, I'm going to honor God with my substance. I'm going to begin to tithe. And they've seen the favor of God and they've continued good and faithful. And others who've gone, oh, this is a bit uncomfortable. I'm going to give something, but then I'm going to move back to where I was. And I want to live under the windows of heaven open, but actually... I did a bit of tithing. Is your offering consistent? When we come to the house of God, is our offering consistent? When we have an opportunity to worship Him, is our worship consistent? The parable of the sower said the seed fell, some seed fell on rocky places. It grew up, but then it it withered away because it had no root. It only lasted a short time. Other seed fell among the thorns. And that's like those who hear the word, but it gets choked by the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Hello? What can happen? We take a step, but then the the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, they can step in. Jesus says, it's like the weeds. But he said, but there was some seed. Let's say some seed. There was some seed. And my prayer is that would be some seed. There'll be a lot of seed that went into good soil and brought forth the harvest 30, 60, even 100 fold what had been given. But that's the decision of our hearts. Is it going to be consistent? But the third thing I want to ask is, is it worship? Is it worship? What's the heart that it's born out of? What heart does it come from? You know, I think what we really see with Cain is there's something not right in his heart. You know, he's casual towards God and God comes and says it's not right. And then he has an opportunity to put it right, but he doesn't put it right. There's, some, there's a heart issue. Whereas Abel comes and it's something of worship. You know, and I, I want to encourage us that actually as we come into land, and next week we will move on because Jonathan's preaching and we're, we're definitely moving tack. We're not going to keep nibbling away at this thing. This is it. But as we come into land, this is it for this year. But as we come into land, I want to say, is it worship? Are you a worshiper? Is this born out of your heart? You know, what, what's your heart response to God? You know, something really powerful happened to me. Last week we were, we were here and we were, we were breaking bread. And I knew that I was going to be teaching on giving. I knew that I'd got this message and we're taking, talking about first things. And I, I knew people were wrestling. And I knew it was going to be challenging. I knew it was going to be uncomfortable. And I know there's this, this whole process. You know, am I going to trust God? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do what's right? And we kind of look at the spreadsheet and we, we know what our hearts want to say. But then we look at the reality. And I, I know this is all going on. And then in the midst of it, Esther stands up and, and from the Bible says words I've heard a thousand times. And she says, this is my body broken for you. This is my body broken for you. And I was choked. 
She came off the platform and said, what's the matter? And I, I tried to say, this is my body, but I couldn't say it. Because I saw Jesus afresh. Hands stretched out on the cross. Back ripped out. Nails driven through his hands and his feet and a a crown of thorns pushed into his head and, and bleeding and upon him the sin of the world including all my sin and garbage and shame and he's saying this is my body given for you this is my body and it's given for you and we're here and going oh, I don't know I'm not sure I'm not sure if I want to and I'm like and, and I just it was like this ah oh, gap and it reminded me when I first got saved where I'd been wrestling about my own life. I wanted to go and do a certain career and, and I just was concerned about giving God everything, of letting go. And then someone came and preached on the cross and I saw the cross and I saw the majesty of Jesus. The one who is before all things. God the Son. The one who in the beginning was there. The one who with Father and Holy Spirit spoke and and it came to be the one who put the stars in the sky the one who formed me in my mother's womb the one who breathed life into my body the one who who is creator of the heavens and the earth the one who holds all things in the span of his hand the one who is greater than any other will ever be the one who is worthy of all the worship the one who laid down his life on the cross and rose again from the dead and conquered sin and the grave and ascended to the Father's side and the whole of heaven worships Him and Christ worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb and this one comes and lays it all down for me and His little grotty me with all my hang up and all my sin and all my shame and I'm, and I'm there in my little pew thinking I want to do this with my life and I see Jesus and I go oh God what sort of an offering is that when that is given for me for God so loved the world that he gave his, he gave he gave he gave he gave he gave he gave and he gives and I'm not trying to force an issue to raise funds but I want to say is it fitting is it consistent and is it worship because he gave everything and I know this is heavy and if it's your first time in church welcome but he calls us to follow him the one who gave everything the one who laid down his very life and sometimes we we have our our wrestles and our conversations with ourselves and our and our hang-ups and am I gonna let it go let it go to the one who gave all he who gave his son how will he not along with him freely give you all things that's what the Bible says and this one he has given his son you don't need to fear let a spirit of poverty be broken off your life let a fear of lack be broken off your life trust him but bring something in worship You know, as we come to a finish it, we're not taking an offering. It's not actually about trying to raise money. But is there a heart response? Is there a heart response? 
when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain is rubbish. It's rubbish. Anything I have is nothing compared to Him. And I make no apology for preaching like this today. I'm not twisting any arms today. You do what you need to do, what you decide to do. But I urge you to do what's right. Woe to them that follow the way of Cain. But let me tell you this. He has given all for you. He has given it all for you. He has laid it all down. And he hung on the cross and he bled and he died. And he said, this is my body given for you. Church, let go. Let go. Might be another area of your life you're wrestling with, you're holding on to. You've not surrendered. Give it to Him, the one who gave all. How will He not also along with Him graciously all things? This is our God. This is my God. I wonder if the band would come and join me. Is it worship? You know, as we finish today, as we, as we bring this little series to an end, I want to encourage us to make a heart response. To say, Lord, I give you my heart and I give you my life. Some of you, you've been wrestling. It's time to let go, to make a decision today. You might need to put it in practice tomorrow. But something happens in the heart that says, Lord, I'm going to align my heart to you. I recognize that you died for me. That you gave all for me with a whole realm of nature mine. That's an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine demands my heart my life my all he's come and given everything you know the truth is we could preach for six months on the principles of giving and first fruits and that's not actually what you need it's a heart response see Jesus see Jesus see Jesus in these moments know that he loves you Know that you can trust Him. Know that He's taken your sin and your shame and He's got your life in His hand. And He calls you out on the water saying, Trust me. Bring what's fitting. Be consistent. Let it be part of your worship. And watch what I will do. But Sarah and the band lead in this amazing hymn stays fresh and powerful through the through the ages I invite you to respond as you need to respond today, if you need to come down the front and kneel down, find some carpet stand on your chair sit where you are and say God I'm sorry, do whatever you need to do let's make a heart response to the one who gave me